Come on now. Um, and I know that uh, this might be the first time that we have met. Um, and it's kind of a weird Sunday to, to introduce myself because we're all supposed to be focused on Jesus. But I feel like um, that uh, I, I want to get to know this church a little more. And so just a couple of things. I mean, I was born and raised in San Francisco. I'm a native. Come on. I'm not a bandwagon Warriors fan. Uh, any other San Francisco natives here? Go ahead and raise your hand. We want to honor you. Thank you. Thank you for keeping our city alive. And, um, and I've been married now 15 years. My wife's in the back, and we have uh, four children under the age of 12, which means I haven't slept in a decade. And um, we're just honored to be here. So thank you so much for having us. Um, I worked for 16 years in an inner city church in the Tenderloin. And um, there's one thing I will ask for, from you today is, is to at least talk back to me as I'm preaching. Because in the Tenderloin, if you're preaching and it's quiet, you don't know if people fell asleep or, or what, what happened. And so I'm used to a little bit of like, amen, that's appropriate. You could shout amen. You could even wave a Kleenex, that's okay. Uh, you could even shout preach big boy, I'm okay with that. But uh, it helps me to just, uh, you know, make sure that what we're saying is landing here today. And, um, you know, our whole faith and life and purpose revolves around this man, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, I mean, Jesus, the son of God, the savior of the world, the lamb of God, the risen one, the Messiah. In order for our lives to make sense, we have to believe in who he is in what he has accomplished on that cross and what he has accomplished by rising again and what he says to be true. You see, true belief in Jesus is proved by how we live. It really boils down to this one question, though. Before we, you know, we're not after behavior modification. It's not about do's and don'ts because systemically it comes from a place of one question. Do you believe in Jesus? It's the most important question that we must answer with our lives. You know, my parents, they got radically saved. We don't come from a long lineage of pastors. My parents, my dad's an immigrant from Taiwan. My mom's an immigrant from France. They were dropped off in the 70s during the hippie movement in San Francisco. Come on. My dad, my dad was a crazy party animal. I mean, he was successful as he worked. He was just a hard work ethic. He had uh, white platforms and, and bell bottoms and gold chains, and he used to party every night. He was like the Chinese John Travolta. Come on. And... Uh, and for 27 years of his life, he was abused verbally, physically by his father for 18 years. And then for another 11 years, he was just lost in this city. He was homeless. He was beaten up in all kinds of crazy stuff. But at 27 years old, my dad was passed out drunk on the couch. And there was a guy preaching on TV. And that guy's name was Jimmy Swagger. Come on. And my dad was actually saved through Jimmy Swagger. And it's not important how the message comes through anyone. It's not important who gives the message. It's important what the message is. And, and my dad was on the couch and he responded to the love of Christ coming through the TV. And it changed our whole family forever. And I share that because it all boils down like one man, my dad, just one guy responded to the good news of Jesus. And then my mom got saved. And then my siblings were saved. And our whole family, like all, right now, all of my siblings are, are serve Jesus. All of our, our spouses, all of our children love Jesus. Because I'm here to tell you today, I don't care what you've come in here with. 
I don't know what you're dealing, what you're facing. I don't even know if some of you are just seeking and, 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 and want to know, is this Jesus thing for real? I'm here to tell you as sure as I'm standing right here. Jesus is the surest thing in this world. He is not a metaphor. He is not a myth. He's not a legend. He is actual reality. He's the only thing that makes this whole world make sense. Can you imagine if we didn't have Jesus, how volatile this world would be? Wars, rumors of wars, economies up and down. I mean, leadership changing left and right. Churches fighting. Churches doing all kinds of crazy things. Look, the only hope we have is that we keep our eyes on Jesus. He is the anchor for our soul. I went uh, deep sea fishing once. I don't preferably like that. You know, I I, I like to just eat fish, (laughs) not fish for fish. And and I I went out past the Golden Gate Bridge and... um, got extremely seasick. Now, you can't really fix seasickness. You can't. The only way to fix it is to just land the boat and get on dry land. Like, that's the only way. But there is something that you can do in the meantime. And I remember just being so sick out there in the bay. All I wanted to do was go home. But all these other guys wanted to go fish. And the captain of the boat, he goes, look, man, there's only one thing that will help you for now. Look to the mountain. Look at the thing that doesn't move and keep your eyes on it. He goes, and then when we land the boat, you'll feel much better. Look, that helped me. And I'm here to tell you, I don't care how crazy the world will be. Your personal world, the world world, church world, it doesn't matter. If you would just keep your eyes on the things that does not move. And I'm telling you, that thing is Jesus. If you keep your eyes on him, everything in this world, it grows strangely dim. You guys remember that hymn? Come on, I grew up on that hymn. My parents got radically saved. I mean, it was crazy. My parents, they were, they were flushing all the alcohol down the toilet, man. They were smashing cigarettes, breaking all the good records. Tower of Power, come on. Come on, Fleetwood Mac, they were breaking all those records. I was raised on Keith Green. And, uh, and I remember, look, my parents got so radically saved, we couldn't even eat Lucky Charms. You know why? There's no such thing as luck, only God's sovereignty. So... I'm here to just tell you, Jesus is the surest thing. He's the realest thing. This is the good news that we all have. This is the good news. See, when we hear the word gospel, what does the word gospel mean? The gospel, gospel means good news. But what is the good news? Well, yes, it is the fact that God is holy. We are hopeless sinners. And Christ died and rose again for us sinners. And there is a great salvation enjoyed by faith in Christ. That is the good news. It's four parts. God is holy. We are not. Jesus came. He paved a way for us to be in fellowship with the holy God. You see, but there is nothing in itself that makes forgiveness of sins good news. Follow me for a second. Whether being forgiven is good news actually depends on what it leads to. Think about it this way. You could walk out of a courtroom innocent of a crime and then get killed right there on the street. Forgiveness may or may not lead to something good. It may not lead to something joyous. Even escaping hell in and of itself is not necessarily good news. If I were to tell you, yeah, you are saved from hell, it's not really good news because what if you don't find heaven, what if you find heaven massively boring? See, the good news is only hinged on what it leads to. And I'm here to tell you, that everything that Jesus did on the cross and rising again and giving us hope, purpose, joy, peace, forgiveness of sins, justification, all those big imputed righteousness, all of those things that Jesus has given. Look, it all leads to one thing, 
fellowship and communion with him. Relationship with him. Relationship with Jesus is the good news. When we're forgiven for sins, it removes the obstacle of sin so that we can fellowship with him. We are saved from hell so that we can spend eternity with him. We are justified. We are given righteousness as a gift so that we can have right standing to be with him. You see, the good news is good news because it leads us to him. That's why you can, uh, you can see Christians sometimes. I was a youth pastor for nine years. I'm not going to point it, uh, fingers at anyone in this church because I don't know this church. But when I was a youth pastor for years, I would see kids. They would come to, to confess their sins so that they could be forgiven of the sins. Some kids were so scared of hell, they'd get demonic dreams and something like that. they say, I just don't want to go to hell. They would confess their sin. They would receive Jesus, but they would stop short, and they were miserable Christians. They knew their sins were forgiven. They knew they were saved from hell, but they never thrived in their Christian walk. Why? They stopped short because it's not about fire insurance from hell. It's not about just making sure your sins are forgiven. It's about fellowship with him. So if we look to Jesus, we look at his life. I mean, this is his life, his birth. That's why I love Christmas. Christmas. His birth, his life, it's found in the Gospels. His death, his burial, his resurrection. And here's a great one. He is coming again. I can't wait. There's some days, man, I got four kids. I spent all day with them yesterday. I was like, Jesus, you can come right now. It would be great. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I love my children. But sometimes we get so tired in this life. We're just like, Lord, we cannot wait for your return. But then there's this tension. A lot of people don't know him yet. A lot of our families, they're not saved yet. This city, majority, they're not saved yet. So it's, yes, we want to see and we want to see you come again. But Lord, in the meantime, would you continue to use us to save people, help us lead people to you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is so vital. It's the crux of our faith. Everything hinges on it. It's so pivotal. This is the good news. So I want to talk to you just about one, one person, about the resurrection, and give you two points, and then we'll call us into communion. I want to talk about one person in particular who was the very first person who encountered the resurrection of Jesus. She received two things on that Easter morning, and guess what? I'm going to call us as a church to these two things as well, because we can receive these two things as well. And I'm talking, of course, about Mary Magdalene. In John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, and I, I believe the scriptures will be on the... Yep, on the screen. You can follow along with me as I read this. Now Mary, she stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she said, they've taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize who it was. She didn't realize it was actually Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking that he was just a gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Did you see that? Did you hear that beep? Right at that time. It was just like that. No, I'm just kidding. Jesus said to her, Mary. And at the mention of her name through Jesus' mouth, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. 
Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go instead to the brothers, to my brothers, and tell them, I'm ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, he's alive. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Mary, the first thing Mary receives on Easter Sunday is a revelation. Everyone shout revelation. Revelation Revelation is basically, it's a communication of divine truth. Now, at first, when when Mary was addressing Jesus, she just thought he was a gardener. And so there's like, like, excuse me, Mr. Gardener, just tell me where you put the body. I want to see him. But in a split second, when Jesus said her name, Mary, the revelation hit her. And she said, oh, Lord, my teacher, you're alive. Isn't it true that the revelation that we have of Jesus is the very thing that causes us to come into salvation? That's why many people in the world, they know about Jesus But the question is, do they know Jesus? It's a huge difference. I can know about Steph Curry. It's another thing to have him on my cell phone and know Steph Curry myself. You can know about Jesus. Even professors in, 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 in academia will study the Bible. They can have intellectual they, they can know God intellectually. But my question is, do you know him experientially? Do you know who he is personally? That's the revelation. Who was the first person? Think about this. The whole crux of our faith, the whole thing hinges on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And yet, who was the very first person to see the resurrected Jesus? Mary. Now, who was Mary? According to Mark's gospel, Mary, the Bible says that when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary out of whom he had driven seven demons. Okay, so who was Mary? Mary would have been considered an outcast by the religious community. She got the first glimpse of the astounding revelation that Jesus has risen. So the crux of our faith rests on the resurrection, and then God chooses Mary out of all people with the good news that Jesus rose from the dead. The whole gospel, in other words, of Jesus Christ and his resurrection is revealed to a woman with a sinful past, a former demoniac. But why Mary? How did she attain this revelation? Why was she chosen out of everyone? I mean, don't you think that Jesus would have revealed himself to the one that he loved, like John or Peter Or James, his half-brother, like someone, like why would you choose Mary? Well, I think it's found in verse John chapter 20, verse 1. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. You know why Mary received the revelation? Because Mary sought after God. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, she went to the tomb. Where were the disciples? They weren't up early. She had to go and get them. Mary was seeking God. And it's, it's the truth today. It's the same principle. The people who seek God will receive a revelation. It's true. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God and I will draw near to you. Did you know that it is a guaranteed that if you seek God, you will find him? The problem, here's the problem. 
So, so you might ask yourself the question, well, okay, there's 860,000 residents in San Francisco, and, and you just said, Mr. Preacher Guy, that if they seek him, that they'll find him. So how come, how come everyone doesn't know Jesus? Well, because the problem is that many people are just okay living their lives without him. They're okay. They're okay living their lives without God. So they don't seek him. They're not searching. Usually when someone's searching, maybe something tragic happened. Maybe something prophetic happened in their life, like they had a dream, a passing of a loved one, an injury, all of these things. That's why when we say, why would a loving God allow my, 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 my legs to get injured? No, no, no. Do you understand that through that divine disruption, he's calling your attention? Oh, why, why would a loving God allow my, my loved one to pass away? He's getting, I'm not saying he is the author of death or injury. God is not. That is, that is, that's, that's systemic from sin, okay? But God allows it because he loves you. God is trying to speak to you through the megaphone of life. He's trying to circumstantially corner you, not because he's a bully, but because he loves you. And as a father, as a father to a son, like you, you know that, that your love for your son is more, with more than anything. And you're trying to get their attention. That's who God is. If we seek, Mary sought after God and the revelation came. But you want to know why else uh, Mary received a revelation? Because she waited. You know, part of seeking God is actually waiting. <laughs> In John chapter 20, it says right there. So, so, so she went to seek God. She saw the tomb was rolled away. She got the disciples. The disciples ran over. Okay, the Bible says that... Um, John and Peter ran. They saw the empty tomb. And then it says right there in verse uh, 10 through 11, the disciples ran back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. While everyone left to go and talk and get busy with life, Mary stood there. It reminds me so much of Joshua, who was the young man that took over leading Israel after Moses. What did the Bible say about him? In Exodus 33:11, it says the Bible, it says in the Bible that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one would speak to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but as young a Joshua did not leave the tent. You see, there is a powerful thing about waiting on God. It is part of seeking God. You wait. How many revelations do we miss because we run back home too fast? How many revelations do we miss because we've shot up prayers and as the, as the answer's coming back down, you've already left that site. You've already moved on. Your heart is in another place and God was like, I was sending you an answer. Are you sticking around long enough to receive it? Sometimes we just gotta stay put. We just got to stay planted. We just got to wait until the revelation comes. Why else did God choose to reveal himself to Mary first out of everyone in creation? Because Mary cried. In verse 11, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Mary was moved emotionally. Can I tell you something? Emotions are very much tied to revelation. God often uses people who reserve their emotions for the things of God. If you're not moved... You can't be moved. Oftentimes, people who don't care, they're impassive, they're immovable, they're non emotional. They cross their hands metaphorically over their heart. And they, those are the people that often miss the revelation of God. In this world, it's almost a badge of honor to say something like this Well, I, I'm not an emotional type, I'm very even keel. Can I tell you something? Emotions were made by God to fully enjoy and experience life. 
It's good to mourn. It's good to cry. It's good to laugh. The Bible says even in Proverbs, like, like medically speaking, it's healthy for you to laugh. Some of you are so serious about yourself. I'm just here to tell you, like, do you, I mean, just think about the most embarrassed thing you've ever done. And, and just the, seriously, you're not that serious, okay? <laughs> okay. God is serious. Jesus is serious. I mean, like, there's guys like King David. Those guys are pretty serious. But you and I, come on, we're not that serious. We're not that important. In the, I mean, I'm not saying you're not important. You are important. Do you understand what I'm saying, though? You're just not important enough to be that serious about yourself. Light, lighten the load a little bit. Laugh a little bit. Enjoy life. Now, see, the problem is uh, just don't let emotions lead all of your decisions. The Bible leads our decisions. Whether we feel like it or not, this is the word of God. This is the ultimate truth. Hey, do I feel like waking up at 5.30 in the morning reading my Bible? No, of course not. I want to sleep. I want to let my kids find their own way to school. (laughs) I want to have coffee, preferably three cups in a row. Watch ESPN, but no, no, no. I'm not led by my emotions. I'm led by what is truth. But, but don't, don't compartmentalize and say emotions are not important. No, they're very much important. And that's why God chose Mary because she was moved emotionally. She was weeping. And I love this last reason why God chose Mary to reveal himself to her out of everyone. Because Mary was actually living in shame. She had a scarlet letter over her life. She was a woman with the past. She, she, had an infa- she was known as an infamous sinner. Why did Jesus reveal himself to her? I think it's one of the same reasons why that God left Tamar, Rahab, and Bathsheba in the lineage of the Messiah. Why? Why did God, why does, God does nothing by accident, okay? Why did God, why is the first recorded person to whom Jesus self-disclosed himself as the Messiah was the woman at the well. It's the same reason why God chose to reveal himself to Mary Magdalene. Why? To illustrate that when Jesus came to take away the horrible shame of sin, he comes to take away your shame and bestow honor upon you. That's what Jesus does. Mary, out of everyone, doesn't deserve it. A former demoniac, a woman with the past, out of everyone that deserves it, it should have been like John or Peter. Why her? Because Jesus says, with this new covenant, with this new testament, with this new era, era, uh, era of me being alive and resurrected, going to the Father, I want you all to know that the gospel is about this. And he takes a woman with a past and he goes, you get the first honor of telling everyone. He takes away the scarlet letter. He takes away the shame. I'm here to tell somebody today, I got goosebumps. See what I'm saying? Enjoy your emotions, okay? I got goosebumps because I'm here to tell you. Someone walked into church today on an Easter Sunday saying, I'm still not worthy to be near Jesus. I'm still not worthy. I, I can't celebrate because you don't know what I did last month. You don't know what I did even last night. I'm here to tell you the gospel is the gospel. It's the good news because Jesus wants to take your shame away and bestow honor upon you. The first thing that Mary received on Easter Sunday was a revelation. The second thing that she received was a commission, an assignment, a task, a mission, a purpose for her life. Not only was she the first to receive the revelation 
about the resurrection, but she was the first person to be commissioned. She was commissioned to go to men to share her testimony and give God's word to them. In John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus said to her, don't cling to me. I got got to go to my father. But listen, go tell the brothers I'm alive. Think about this. Jesus broke the tradition by commissioning Mary. In first century Israel, women were not even allowed to testify in the court of law. They weren't. They were considered unreliable witnesses. So think about God in heaven. I mean, think about all of life, okay, from creation to revelation. Genesis, like all the way to revelation, all the way to the end. The whole thing, our whole life is centered around Jesus and the good news, okay. And the the crux of our faith is the resurrection. So here's God in heaven saying, who am I first going to reveal the revelation to? Mary. Who am I first going to commission? A woman. An unreliable witness. Why? Because God has always set things up in this kingdom that he will always get the glory. No one will ever steal God's glory. No one will ever steal Jesus' glory. He wants to make sure that when he calls someone, you are unreliable. You are inconsistent. You are, because then when you do something for him, you can only give praise to him. Because it's the Holy Spirit inside of you that's doing it. He commissioned a woman to spread the good news. This is what I call the great reversal. Because think about it, in the Garden of Eden, right? In the Garden of Eden, when sin entered into the world, there was the curse and the woman lost her voice. But through the redemption of Jesus Christ in another garden, the garden of the empty tomb, the woman got her voice back. This is the great reversal. Jesus reverses the curse. My question to you is this. What curse do you think that you're under? You may say to yourself, man, my grandfather was an alcoholic. My father is an alcoholic. So I am now struggling with alcohol. That may have been true under the curse, but it is no longer true under the resurrection. You can break the curse, not by your power, but by believing what Jesus has done in your life. He has broken the curse. My best friend sitting right here in this second row is a refugee uh, from Cambodia fleeing the Khmer Rouge, dropped off in Thailand, raised by a bunch of people, absent father, landed in the Tenderloin District for 18 years, life of crime, selling drugs, addiction, beating people up, very violent man. 17 years ago, I met him. He got radically saved. He's never looked back. He's my best friend. Everywhere I go, he's with me. I didn't even know he was coming to church today. I just showed up and he's sitting right there. I was like, what's up, man? My best friend in life. I look at him and I look at all the generational curses of his lineage. Buddhist monks, demonic this, demonic that, like conniving, undercutting, adultery, fornication, alcoholism, addiction, violence. I look at all that and I say, look, The power of the resurrection can liberate one man. And I look at his wife and his three kids, and they're growing up in the freedom of Christ. He's raising powerful children of God. I'm like, bro, this is the power of the resurrection. This is the power of the resurrection. That a woman with a checkered past was given a great assignment on the earth. Why did she receive that commission? She was unqualified. Yes, but did you remember 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29? 
It says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble by birth. Come on, somebody. But, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world to, to, to the lowly and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. The impetus always rests on God's power, not our ability. Today, many of you may feel unworthy of forgiveness. Some of you may feel, I've, I've disqualified myself. You have no idea what I've done. I am disqualified from God's mission on the earth. You feel like you can't be a minister. You feel like you can't share the good news. You feel like you can't preach your testimony. And I'm just here to remind you, the only common denominator between the people that God used in this book right here was not perfection. It was faith. It was faith. It was belief in God. And in the New Testament, it's belief in his son. The resurrection is powerful because it gave a woman like Mary a purpose for her life. If an adulterous, demon-possessed woman can receive an assignment from Jesus himself as one of the very first things he's done after he was resurrected, then you and I have a chance at having a purpose in life. We do. We do. You are commissioned by God, whether you have a past, whether you feel like you're gifted or not, whether you have an insecurity, the power doesn't come from you, it comes from God. I got uh, three boys, one daughter, and uh, like any good Asian father, I named my three boys good, strong Jewish names. <laughs> uh, my oldest son, his name is Malachi, which means God's messenger. My second son's Micah, who is like Jehovah. My third son is Levi, harmony with God. Strong, biblical names. My wife, I said, okay, I, we have one daughter, I'll let you name her. And she chose Maya, which means Rice Valley. And uh, <laughs> it's okay. God has a plan for your life, Maya. Regardless of what your name is, come on. <laughs> now, my two boys, every now and then, Malachi and Micah, they're around the same age, three years apart. But they, they get into little tussles here and there, and they're arguing, they're arguing. And usually the, the weaker one, or the younger one, I should say, uh, Micah, he'll come up to me, Dad, Malachi won't stop bullying me. He won't stop taking the, the ball. He won't stop. And, and, and I say, well, why don't you try this? He goes, I tried that. Well, why don't you try this? I did that. He's not listening to me. So I, what do I tell my son? I said, son, why don't you tell him, say, Dad says, give me the ball. And he goes. Next thing you know, the fighting has stopped. There's no more yelling. Whose authority did Micah go in? Whose authority did Micah act in? When he tried to do it himself, he couldn't render any results. But he said, hey, dad says to do this. And all of a sudden, nothing changes about Micah, but all the powers behind him. Why? Because Malachi knows if you don't give the ball, you're going to get disciplined. And it's the same with you and I. In our life, we try to do everything on our own. We try and we render zero results. And we try through our might. And we try through our force. And we've been shaking up our families for decades saying, why don't you understand? And God says, it's not by might. It's not by power. 
It's, but I tell you one thing, if you do everything in the name of Jesus, there is power. The Bible says in the book of Joel chapter 2, that mighty are those who obey his commands. Mighty are those who obey his commands. That means when Jesus says to do something, if we obey him, if we do whatever we do in his name, it will render results. It will render results. I close today by just reminding you, the power of the resurrection is crazy. It changed all of history. I try to tell them, look, the number one thing I want in my life right now, I'm a 36-year-old man. The number one thing I want in my life is I want my children to get the revelation that Mary had. I don't want anything. I mean, I want a lot of other things. Don't get me wrong. I want a lot of things. Excuse me. I'm not trying to be fake. I want a lot of things, okay, preferably Mercedes GL450. Thank you, Lord. No, I'm joking. But uh, I want a lot of things. Of course I want a lot of things. But the number one thing that surpasses them all is I just want my kids to know that Jesus is for real. That's it. Because if they can get the revelation Mary has, then I know that they will succeed in life. Whether I don't care what school they go to, what occupation they go chase, I don't. None of that matters. I just want them to know Jesus. And look, Mary could be this close to Jesus and think he's a gardener, unless the revelation happens. And I don't want my kids to be this close to Jesus and only think he's a good teacher or a prophet. I want them to know him personally as Messiah Savior. So as we close, I call us to remember that Mary in the resurrection received the revelation and she received a commission. Now we can receive those as well. We receive the revelation of Jesus and we can receive a purpose for our life. That's what Easter Sunday is all about. He has risen. It is the greatest news on earth. The gospel, the good news, it's not a four-step plan, not a six. The good news is one thing. It's Jesus. It is Jesus himself. If you'd like to receive these two gifts today that Mary received, I'm going to ask you to respond, but I'm going to ask you to respond through communion. Because here's the thing. You don't need an intermediary. You don't need to go through a person to connect with the living God. Because that's the whole reason why Jesus had. Jesus even said, he goes, I have to go to the Father so that the Holy Spirit can dwell inside of you. You can have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so as you respond, I'm going to have the ushers come forward and hand out the elements. And as they hand out the elements, your response is going to be to God on your own. And we're going to take the elements together. But you're going to pray on your own. You don't need someone to pray for you. You can connect to the living God on your own. And all you're going to say is, God, and, and I don't know what the case may be for you today, but if you need a revelation, just say, God, I need a revelation of you again. I need a revelation of you. Or if you're just like, God, I need a commission. I need a purpose. I need, a, I need, I need you to, to, to call me into something. I don't know what it may be. Some of you are not even Christians in this room. You can get saved today. Today is the day of salvation. We'll lead you in that in a second. But they go hand in hand. Let me pray for Bethel Church. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you so much for what you're doing in our midst. We may not understand. We may not, we may not see with the physical eye what you're doing all the time. 
not just in our church, but in our world. But there is one thing we're sure of, and that is the good news of Jesus. You were born, you lived, you died, you were buried, you rose again, and you're coming back again. And God, that excites us. Thank you for, for loving Mary in the Bible, for revealing yourself to her, for removing her scarlet letter, for giving her a purpose. It just gives us so much hope that this Easter Sunday, we can receive those things as well. So I pray for the lost person right now. I pray for the prodigal. I pray for the one that's been running from you, that today he or she will come back to you, will come back to the revelation that you are for real. And for those of us who are Christians, we are saved, but we need another revelation of you. We need a commissioning to go into the world with purpose for our life. I pray that we will receive that in Jesus' name. Ushers, will you come forward, the communion team, hand out the elements as the worship team will lead us. And as you receive, hold the elements and uh, we will partake of them together.